0: Hello, and welcome to the R Resources Podcast. I'm your host, Kaylin Buran. On today's episode, we have uh, Lynette Hudson, who's a, a PhD student at the University of Arizona. Uh, and it's it's a fascinating conversation. Um, I, I really admire Lynette. Uh, she's one of those people that is, is memorable, um, and memorable in a good way. She's obviously very thoughtful and someone who has deep inquiry about how how the systems and, and how the the different structures that that surround all of us are are created and and how we can impact them. Uh, she's been able to, to do a wide variety of roles um, throughout the mining industry. Even though um, she started off as a as a geologist, she's been all around um, doing. Primarily, uh, geology, mining, engineering, and uh, business development and, and business strategy for for several large scale miners throughout the U.S. Um, and she's she's pretty modest uh, in our conversation. Uh, she's, as I said, she she thinks about everything, and and that includes what she says. And so, um, during during the episode, I I feel like I I try pushing. And trying to get provocative answers has, um, as I feel, it's my job to do. But uh, she's uh, careful about her word choices, and I, I would encourage any any listener to to really think about the message that she is getting across uh, during the conversation, uh, because the implications for much of what she says goes far beyond the obvious and far beyond the the direct conversation that we're talking about. Uh, of of particular interest, we, we discuss how, for example, business culture and, and the culture inside of a very of various companies develops and the different the different styles and structures that can inhibit or enhance the development of of the best talent within a company. Um, and and during this discussion uh, we talk pretty in, in detail about not only the the fluffy feel-good story about how we should be training everybody and, and trying to allow them to be them their best selves but we also we bring it back to reality and I, I appreciate Lynette doing this consistently throughout the podcast that at the end of the day um, as as we discuss mining as a business and there's a bottom line that needs to be met and so yes in an ideal world, we want to be able to have everyone reach their maximum potential, but how can we enrich our people while also meeting our bottom line? Um, and Lynette brings us into the, the rather intangible concept of a, of a business culture and, and some of the, the ways that leaders can affect their companies and affect how people perform within their companies. And so, overall, for for me, what I what I took from this conversation uh, was a, a new perspective on how leaders and managers of people play a, a really a really critical role in being able to develop talent, but being able to define exactly how to do that remains something that that's uh, largely intangible. Um, and Lynette in her her PhD dissertation is, is working on how we might be able to to bring some of this intangible nature of, of good leadership into reality with things like big data and analytics uh, which she's she's passionate about and passionate about bringing to the mining industry So overall uh, as, as usual I find the conversation incredibly interesting. Uh, I appreciate everyone. Taking the time to listen to this conversation, I, I also hope that it provides you with some insight into how management, leadership styles, and and corporate structure can really make an impact and and be uh, make or break for a company. So with that, I hope you enjoy. Uh, the last note is uh, a few few audio notes as as well as an apology. Um, I'm going to start with the apology for missing last month. It was an incredibly busy time of the year, and hence we skipped on to April. Uh, so the, the podcast will resume as normal with monthly episodes after, after this month. Um, and hopefully, hopefully in the future, I'll get more time and, and more resources to get, get dedicate to the podcast and be able to produce this uh, more often than, than once a month. And then in addition to that, this, this episode was recorded, uh, last November. So, so November, 2022, and uh, and it was actually the, the first in-person audio recording. And so there's a, a few audio mishaps. Uh, for example, the, the table that we were sitting at uh, vibrated, and, and you hear it a few times throughout the episode. It kind of sounds like a, a heartbeat. Uh, so I hope that you can excuse that, as, as well as me accidentally uh, shutting off the recording early at the end of the episode. Um, but with that said, I, I don't think that... It's a major impact on the quality of the episode and certainly not an impact on the quality of the content. So, I do hope you enjoy. I appreciate you listening. And with that said, on with the podcast. So Lynette Hudson, thank you for being on the R Resources podcast. How are you today? I'm good.
1: Thank you for
0: having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so I, I want to jump straight into it um, by talking about your background a little bit. Uh, so I don't. I honestly I don't know what your title should be <laughs> um, because, like previously, we've had like Jean on. He's a financial analyst. It's it's easy. It's snappy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but your background's so wide that. I don't really know what to call you. Um, so, so what do you what do you want me to call you, or what do you call yourself?
1: Um, well, right now I call myself a graduate student actually, <laughs> because I'm I'm doing a PhD in mining engineering. Um, but you're right. I've had have had a bunch of different titles and done a lot of different things in the industry. Um, initially, my training was as a geologist, and that was my, my initial role in the industry was was a mining geologist. Um, but then then I transitioned pretty quickly into resource geology. From there, I went to business analyst roles which led to a lot of strategic planning type of work even though I I wasn't actually necessarily working as a long-range mining engineer um, for example but I definitely worked very closely with people in those sorts of roles and did a lot of you know what I thought were really interesting strategic type of projects Mm -hmm. Um, and then I did a little bit of business development um, on a regional scale and with with one of the the big mining companies so um, yeah definitely been been in a lot of different places my interest right now is definitely Um, data analytics for the mining industry and developing tools that will help you know help the industry moving forward because I I, for me I I got to that point where I felt like I had so many ideas when I was working in the industry for how things could be automated or things could be done differently Um, to take advantage of you know people talk about big data data science machine learning you know all those whatever buzzword you want right Hmm. Um, there's a lot of interest in that space but there's not necessarily a lot of people that understand both mining and and the, the information system side of it, so that's why I, you know why I actually went back to school and why I'm doing that now. But that's that's my hope going forward is to actually make that my my niche permanently.
0: So. That's that's <laughs> that's fascinating. And I don't know if I if I want to jump there now or, or dive into <laughs> dive into what we're we're mainly focused on, which is the business side of things. Um, but I guess before before going to the business strategy, um, I did want to ask if you could explain a little bit more about your background and if a lot of these decisions, like when you're going from mining geology to exploration to strategic business development, um, if those career decisions were planned out, if they're intentional, and now with where you find yourself now, kind of how how do you perceive that trajectory?
1: Um, well, it's it's I guess a little bit planned and a little bit unplanned, I would say. Um, and, and you know, my advice to anybody starting out would be know be open to opportunities have an idea where you want to go and the kind of direction you want to go but also keep an eye open for what opportunities are there because there will always be different you know different roles or roles that might be adjacent to what you're doing and you know looking at some of the people that i learned a lot from in the industry or that were mentors for me they didn't necessarily do just the same thing and stay on the same narrow career path the entire time either Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of times people in order to move up in a company you do have to actually move around a lot and have sometimes what they call stretch assignments um, which are things that maybe you aren't going to be the best at um, but it'll help you overall even if even if you only do it for a year or two sometimes people actually intentionally do that on their career path um, so for me though for, for me i started off as a as a mining geologist and you know i just happened to be in a position where the mine i was working at the person who was doing resource geology um, you know, was leaving that that role, and they didn't really have anybody to fill it. And I kind of just stuck my hand up and said, "Well, if you, if you train me, you know, I'll do it." Um, which actually ended up being a really good move for me. I, I really liked that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that motivated me, you know, after doing that for several years, was that I didn't want to be pigeonholed, because at that point I'd done, you know, geology. At, you know, mine geology and resource geology. Yeah. I never actually worked in exploration. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but but I didn't want that to be the only thing people thought of me as. And I'd also worked with a lot of engineers and had enough awareness of the other roles that people had at the mine that I didn't mm-hmm. want I, I wanted to know more kind of what they did or how did, how do the work that other people how does the work that other people do um kind of fit into, you know, the whole like yeah. if you think about the mine as a system. You know, there's a lot of different things that have to work um, for it to for it to work well. Um, So for me, that you know curiosity, I guess, is kind of what led me to to the business analyst role. And again, that was an opportunity where somebody had posted for an internal position, Mm -hmm. and you know I just put in for it. So uh, in that respect, I was working for a company that was pretty open to having people make big moves like that, even if on paper you might not have the background. You know, but if they you know, if they trusted you and you've been there a while they were willing to give you opportunities um, so so that was one thing that I really appreciated some companies it depends on the culture it's easier to move or not but definitely sure. there's even within you know a company that has things kind of set out you know there's always opportunities and that's what I would encourage people to, to just keep an eye out so.
0: yeah that makes sense so so to summarize it would be a combination of curiosity and, and finding the opportunities that are available
1: yeah yeah, just keeping
0: keeping an eye open, talking to people, you know, seeing what's what's being posted. Definitely awesome. a good way to go. Awesome. So, so now with that little uh, tangent <laughs> uh, out of the way, um, I want us to talk. And what we're going to spend most of the time on is is talking about mining as a business, um, which is a, a phrase that that you've used in previous conversations with me before. Um, and my first. Question is, what do you mean by mining as a business? Because I, I don't know what else it would be. I mean-
1: <laughs> yeah, obviously it is a business, um, but it's it's also something that again, depending on what role people have, um, sometimes sometimes you know it, it's so easy for people to get caught up in, in their day to day job um, that that you know, it sometimes you don't have exposure really with what with what you the role you may have either to see all those different parts of. Of a mining operation, for example, mm-hmm. um, and then outside of a mining operation, if you're in a big company, you know there's there's a bunch of people that are sitting somewhere in a corporate office, right, which may be very far from where you are.
0: In Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> it
1: could be Toronto, yeah. It could could be you know there, there could could be a lot of other big cities, but a big city, somewhere, <laughs> right? Um, and and so so most people, at least the how I started in the industry, you start off with an entry level job, mm-hmm. you know, where you're, where you're in an active mine. You see, you know, you get very familiar with the day-to-day operation, which is very important. And the people that do that work—I mean, they're the ones that that are actually mining. Um, If you're sitting in a corporate office, you're 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 overhead. You know, you're not the one doing moving the dirt, right? Um, But sometimes there's a difference between depending on what role people are in. You know, how much of that business that they see or what they think about, and um, especially when you're in an early level, like an entry-level role, you may not even be able to see how your work you know directly affects the bottom line right Mm -hmm. you're not in charge of a budget you know you don't you don't get to make decisions that are either going to spend or save the company money um and so sometimes strategically um there's a lot of emphasis to put on the day-to-day work and not necessarily for some companies as much on strategy so when you refer to that you know in previous conversations that's kind of what i was was getting at
0: okay so so it's kind of like instead of looking at mining as, as just production, it's looking at it in a more holistic view of, of why you want to meet your production targets, for example, why you want to produce.
1: Precisely.
0: Yeah. So I guess, I mean, it makes sense if you're talking to mining engineers to, to use that type of terminology and to, to explain that. Um, but more broadly, do you think that people in general don't have a perception that mining is a business?
1: I think the, in the industry, you know, it depends, and, and obviously, I mean, you I can't speak for for the whole industry, right? yeah. you know, yeah. one, one person, yeah. um, but I was reminded of a coworker who, sometimes he would ask people, you know, at the mine, he'd just ask coworker, another coworker and say, hey, you know, if I asked you, why are we here, what would you say? And mm-hmm. sometimes a surprising number of people would say, um, you know, to move dirt or to, to, to be safe. Now, safety, obviously, like, no matter where you go, that is number one. Yes, <laughs> like, if, yeah. if you can't keep people safe, you shouldn't be doing anything else. Um, but <laughs> ultimately, that's not why you're there. You're there, to, you know, you are there to make money. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so, depending on kind of the role that people are in, um, a surprising number of people, you know, they might be.
0: I see. And then a slightly more provocative question on that <laughs> uh, would be, do you think that that mindset is is representative of a type of issue within the mining industry's culture? Because if if people aren't recognizing why their work is valuable for the the greater company, mm-hmm. um, that is a that's an opportunity for resentment, anger, distrust, other negative emotions to come through, um, and so guess what i'm trying to ask is, is would it be better if most people were able or recognize that mining and then the day is, is for profit and not for moving dork? um <laughs> on the other on the other side of things though i could also see that having it be for profit would be uh more likely to to spur resentment as if they aren't if they don't feel like they're getting the fair share of that profit
1: Wow, that's a really complicated question. A lot of things, a lot of things to unpack, and a lot of things that you know. For, again, for me as one person, you know, it's yeah. is not my place. Um, yeah, I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you do, bring, you do bring up some interesting points that if, if, the, if people who are working you know, you know, at, at the mine, you know, they're, they're the ones going out in unsafe conditions uh, or potentially one, you should never go out in unsafe conditions, mm-hmm. you should refuse to do the work. And if your company doesn't accept that, then that's also a problem in and of itself. Um, but but you know, if people feel like they're not being adequately valued or rewarded, whether that's financially or with, with you know, future opportunities, um, that, that is a management problem, you know, if, if, if people have, have that kind of feeling. Um, but it's, it's also that, you know, sometimes, you know, mining, it's a non-renewable resource that you're exploiting. And eventually, mm-hmm. you're going to mine all the good stuff. And, you know, there may be a time where a particular deposit, you know, may not be worth it economically anymore to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, but people who have been there for a while, there's, you know, obviously a, a quite natural tendency to, to, you know, want to keep going and, and to kind of make something go, even when maybe the best strategic decision is, is to say, hey, look, this one's done. You know, and, and hopefully it's a big enough company that you have some other opportunities to go to or a different project. Um, but, but culturally, you know, when you do kind of get sometimes these these, these kind of interesting um, kind of pockets of different sentiment depending on where you're at. And and you know, I can, I'm, I'm not trying to like I can't speak for you know obviously for everybody right yeah. or for a particular even a particular group right because we're just talking about the industry in general. Um, but, but definitely, I think it's something that I'm a big believer in, in training, anyway, and in education. So I think that sometimes you'll hear people who are, who are you know, working at, at the mine saying, "Oh, management doesn't understand, or engineers don't understand. They need to learn how to you know how to mine better, or, or what we do every day, right? Like they don't they don't understand the work that we do." But then the other, the opposite, also happens,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, where where sometimes you know people at corporate will say, "Well." You know, people at the mine, they're only thinking about their mind. They're not thinking about kind of All the, the mines, portfolio, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, <laughs> I'm not trying to dodge the question. I just think it's its a really tough.
0: Yeah, no, thing. and I, I think it's a good response. It's also a good response because it, it gets us into a topic that I, I wanted to discuss with you, which is um, that previously when we talked about managing people, I found your approach to it really interesting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, because I think, I think I find it interesting because I feel like it resonates with me, but um, like you, you really break down the problem like it's a statics problem for engineering or any other engineering problem, at least, at least that's how I perceive it. Um, and so that, I wanted to ask if that was something that's intentional for you. And I also wanted to ask if you could summarize how you perceive management of people.
1: okay that's also another big question (laughs) um so when you say i like because here i'm trying i know how i think and i don't have to think about it right yeah and so so i'm going to try and pair it back what you just said so if i what like what kind of problems are you talking about where if i where i break them down
0: like for example um when you sent me you sent me a powerpoint previously breaking down some of the corporate issues within some large mining companies Mm -hmm. and talking about what the potential issues may be in their culture within how they're operating um, as a business. And to me, it seemed very different than how I've seen other people break down these types of problems. Okay.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, So I do have a thought on that. And so when you say other people, like how would other people be breaking down the problems that you think is different? I, I'm trying to
0: understand kind of where you're where you're coming yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. So no, I think, think I think it's a good discussion. Um, so I think, I guess I, do, I don't see it broken down into discrete elements. Um, so I'm sure you would find it to think of an exact example, but if you're looking like the way that you broke it down was you're looking at a system, and there's a series of interacting parts and pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that's corporate sending a, an email to some other group or you know whatever it is, um, breaking it down into those exact segments of people and what actions they're taking, mm-hmm. um, whereas I think that other people look at it more as a whole and just say the culture's bad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, I got <gotcha>. Yeah,
1: <laughs> for me that actually comes from. When I was an undergraduate, I double majored in geology and anthropology. Okay. So the thing that, that kind of stuck with me from anthropology is that it taught me to analyze people and analyze how people interact with each other as, you know, as a system, like you said. So, so, so when I talk about company culture, when I think about it, I think about it in a slightly different way from sometimes how other people do use that term, um, because, because I'm thinking about it more of the, closely to the way an anthropologist actually would. Which is, it's not just this like thing that's in the air. It's, it's, it's almost like a worldview that pe- okay. that kind of transmits itself. You know that, that a group of people share, but you can have in a culture you can have some people leave. Maybe they, they die. Maybe they maybe they leave. Whatever that they exit the group, other people come in, but the culture kind of stays. So it's, it's kind of self-perpetuating, right? Okay. Um, and the way that that is transmitted is in certain. Um, you know, certain ways, like you have almost like rites or, or rituals that, that people do. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm probably butchering some of the anthropology because it's been a long time. <laughs> but um, but I, that's part of where that, that systematic approach comes from and part of that's just my personality anyway. But, um, but looking at the specific actions that people have and, and kind of how you can do one thing and, it has a, and, and the way that it resonates with the group may, may or may not be what you think. Um, I think it is. So, so that's one difference, I think, between how sometimes people talk about company cultures, managers talk about it like they can control it, mm-hmm. and you can't. You might be able to influence it, if you're lucky, and kind of know what you're doing, but mm-hmm. more often than not, um, people, when they think they can control it, or they talk about how our, you, know, you should come work for our company because it's got a great culture, that's not necessarily something management can take credit for. There's a saying in the industry, or in any industry, that tone comes from the top, and that part I think is absolutely true. But what people think they transmit, and what the messages they actually transmit, are not necessarily the same thing. So things can, you know, you can have something that you think is going to be a symbol for the company, and it might be a symbol, but it might mean something very different from what you, as the manager, thought (laughs) it meant. So so those, so those are the sorts of things that I, I think about, and and I do look at the people side. Of the business, I'm going to talk about company culture. I am looking at it a little bit more like an anthropologist actually would, um, and so, so looking at how how people's actions actually contribute or you know contribute to that culture.
0: Interesting. So, case yeah. of how do I want to phrase this? Um, <laughs> so, I guess I'd be concerned in in kind of what you said um, that. There's a sense of indeterminacy with company culture. And so if, if, let's say if I was a manager, I was somebody within a company culture and and we recognized that there was an issue, Mm -hmm. something needed to change, how would we be able to stimulate that type of change if if the culture is something that's um, broader than or...
1: If you can't control it. Yeah. Yeah. That's also a very good question, and one of the things that I've thought about and I do not have an answer to is, people talk about how traditionally mining had a really terrible safety culture, Yeah. and the industry's made a huge strides in that over the last few decades to the point where it really is embedded in the culture of most, you know, any company I've ever worked for. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a genuine, you know, genuinely something that they cared about. Um, so. I'm personally curious how that transition first happened you know within the industry as a whole because that's a case where just like you said people recognize there was a problem um, it took a lot of intentional effort on the part of a lot of people <laughs> to yeah. make that change happen but it was successful so so it can be done but I think it's it, you know I suspect that when you know managers want to influence the culture I suspect that it's a lot more difficult than then people give it credit for it to do it right, um, because because it could backfire in so many ways if you try to influence something um, that you don't have control over, your, you know. But you just you think you do, and then maybe that's maybe that's the first step is realizing that you don't have control. <laughs> um, I, I suspect that being genuine and you know actions speak louder than words is probably a big part of it too. Um, if you want to genuinely change change the culture,
0: that's that's really interesting I had never thought about that mining safety culture idea Um, my great grandfather would always say he was in Alaska in the like 60s and 70s -hmm. he'd always say that he felt safer being on a mine than any public road yeah yeah
1: Uh, (laughs) you know it's weird driving on public roads like like steep roads without a berm I I get way more nervous than I would have on a mine mine.
0: (laughs) yeah definitely um well that's that's really interesting so I guess going off of that because I'm there's other things I want to move on to, but um, to finish off the, the culture um, topic, I guess, do you see other examples from maybe outside of mining where this type of culture shift has happened or where people have been able to make a positive change in, in how the industry perceives itself?
1: And, and, and in a genuine way, yeah. Yes, um. <laughs> yeah. That's a good question. I've, I've actually never thought about that. So I'm kind of blanking on anything right now. I'll probably think of something about, you know, five hours from
0: now. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, and then one of my, my last questions on this is, again, slightly more provocative, but I, I mean, that's what I'm here for. So um,
1: just don't get me into too much trouble. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, so I guess if you had to characterize the current mining industry or, or even some specific areas within the mining industry are there places that you could see that that we could improve our culture like is there one like one area of culture that i think is an issue for mining um as kind of mentioned previously is is the disconnect between corporate and mine site Mm -hmm. um and so like would you would you pin that as something that needs to change within our mining culture in order to to build a better future for for the industry. Um, I guess what? How
1: would you characterize the nature of this disconnect?
0: I could. I. I guess I would see it kind of as as you were talking about earlier that there's not. I. I don't know if it's a misunderstanding, but there's not really a recognition mm-hmm. of one or the other existing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I guess I, to me, it seems like just having that large of a disconnect provides opportunities for miscommunications for resentment and other negative feelings to to grow because if you're disconnected you're not communicating with one another and you're not um kind of in a sense you're not acting as a team
1: mm-hmm. I, that's yeah that's, that's a tough one too i think that um <laughs> You know, like I said before, I think I'm a, I'm a big believer in training, and so having um, having people understand, you know, what what the roles that other people are doing, even if it's not your job, having that understanding and respect goes a long way. Um, I do think that that you know pe- people do understand, you know, that because a lot of people that are are saying corporate now, they may not have started there; they may have worked their way up, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and and you know, you've got people at that that you know do do listen and do understand kind of what the bigger picture is. Um, so I think communication, you know, like you said, is is definitely something that, that you know most companies prob- would probably say they could work on, you know, better um, communicating. Um, and I think that, you know, ultimately, if they if they don't, I mean, the worst worst outcome for any company is that they just don't succeed as a business, right? Um, and there's lots of ways that can happen. It's not just about, you know, workers not not kind of understanding or having enough respect for each other. So. I, So, so I don't see, necessarily see that as the bigger, like one of the biggest issues is, is yeah. people not being able to to communicate with each other, you know, within or between different job sites. Um, it, I would for for me I would focus more on again on training and and at, you know at all levels having a culture where where people have a, an individual development plan is kind of the term that you know an HR person would use. Um, and then having companies where mm-hmm. they take it seriously. Um, so, sometimes companies, there, there's sometimes this phenomenon that I call like the golden child, and I'm not the only person that, that you know, kind of would yeah. call it or is it like that, um, where companies think they can have sort of a fixed mindset where they think people just, some people are leaders and some people aren't. and if you And, and if you go into your people management, you know, with that attitude, what happens is that people, when they're new, um, maybe new to the company or maybe new to the industry as a whole, they get judged very quickly as either, you know, potential leaders. This person's going to be great. We're going to give them all this training mm-hmm. um, and all these opportunities. Or yeah, that's that's Bob. He's here too. You know, <laughs> and, and if that's how people treat, um, you know, the people on their teams, uh-huh. where you've kind of got one person that you think the world of, and everybody else is just sort of there. Um, that to me is a bigger issue, and that I do think has long term, you know, implications because when you talk about and we use another HR term, we talk about bench strength, which okay. basically means you need to have enough people that if somebody gets hit by the beer truck, um, you know, somebody else can step in and do the job. And okay. that's to me, that's probably the bigger thing that I think some companies could, could work on is, is training and training for everybody, not not just a select few.
0: Okay. Um There are a few things I want to ask about. Uh, so <laughs> In terms of, of training, I guess, can you connect the training to the, I want to call it a dichotomy of, of judging who's a leader and who's not a leader? Um, so where where do those two interact? Does that question make sense?
1: Not exactly, sorry. So, right.
0: so yeah, so you, you mentioned the golden child phenomenon and the idea that people either are seen as a leader or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess is, is the training for understanding that people can learn to be leaders or training for the people who aren't leaders?
1: You mean the people who are labeled not a leader? Yes. It's, yeah, both because Oh, okay. <laughs> you, need to, you, need to, you need to give training to, to everybody to the extent that your budget would allow. Like that, I think that's an important. Um, because if you, what happens is if you have a limited training budget, and you have a company that kind of operates on that golden child philosophy. Mm-hmm. Guess what? You're gonna have one or two people that get to do like every single you know, development opportunity will be given to them, and other people might get to take along part of the time. Um, but within, but if you treat most of the people as just kind of there, um, you're potentially overlooking a lot of one. You're not gonna you're not gonna train your your workforce overall to be the best they can be because you're not giving some people opportunity most people opportunities. Um, but then you're not going to have, you know, if you misjudge somebody, and maybe somebody has potential to be a leader, you just didn't see it in a way, they're Mm -hmm. going to be in that pool um, that, you know, might get overlooked. Right. And I think the industry does that quite a bit,
0: actually. Interesting. So what, I guess, what do you see as the broad scale outcome? If if this is occurring within the industry, what do you see as the the outcomes of this? I am kind of wanting to ask, like, like what evidence of this do you see?
1: well, it's see, the tr- the tricky part though is that this is obviously all of this is just my personal opinion, yeah right yeah, That's one, that's one and <laughs> two. Um, I think where it comes where it comes out is sometimes you know c- people might not make the best business decisions overall, mm. um, but proving that is tough because you're proving something that you know you're asking me to prove something that didn't happen you know, or how an outcome could have been different.
0: For oh company, okay. right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And and so I can't prove that. But what I what I suspect though is if is if you if a company under invests in their people broadly and and kind of funnels a lot of resources to a small number of people instead of trying to you know t- take a genuine approach to try and make everybody be the best that can be. One, you're gonna be under everyone's gonna underperform right, as a whole mm-hmm. because a lot of your people aren't gonna perform as well as they could have with some more investment, um, but then the people who, even the people who do get that training, um, you know, wh- what happens if they get promoted eventually to a role that they're not ready for, you know, or that they weren't well suited to? But they're the only ones that had the, the prerequisite training to get mm-hmm. to that role as you as you go through your career and you start to to move up into more, you know, more positions with more responsibility. Um, so 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 as a whole, it kind of holds. Everybody back, because you just don't have enough people that you know necessarily are, are going to really you know that are going to really know what they're doing. Essentially, <laughs> that's that's the, that's the risk. I'm not saying that that happens in every you know in every company. I see. Uh, that's just that's just kind of my observations.
0: No, no, that makes sense. And again, I'm gonna I'm gonna poke and prod here. Uh, <laughs> so I I think I think that everything you're saying it makes sense it's logical that you know you want to invest in a a wide pool of people but i can imagine one of the biggest barriers to this is that if you only have a limited amount of funds to go back into people you want to make sure that you're utilizing that you're you're maximizing the use of those funds Mm -hmm. um and There might not be enough funds to invest in everybody equally to be able to um i'm gonna use the word upskill i don't know if that's the correct term here but um (laughs) uh, yeah so so to upskill everybody versus investing in a few people who you feel like are are valuable assets
1: i think it's a matter of degree Um, because you're right of course you're going to have limited budgets and there are going to be some employees that are going to you know always do the right thing and, and do great and some employees that you know, maybe just aren't quite there no matter what you do, right? Yeah. Um, so, so, I'm, so I'm not saying that everybody's, you know, starting out with equal potential, right? But when you treat pe- when you sort people early and treat them differently, I think that's where, where there's a lot of people that could get put in the wrong bucket, essentially. I see. So, so it's a matter of degree. You know, how how much more do you invest in one employee versus another?
0: That's interesting. Okay. Um, And then one of my other questions on that, how to deal... I think I have two more questions. Um, <laughs> one one has to do with the international nature of mining, um, and I, this is this is always a topic that interests me. Is is how companies invest in their local communities and the the places and people that they're operating nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in those situations, do you see companies investing enough in the 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 local talent is, I guess, a phrase that could be used for it.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, that's also another very good question, and, and it, uh, you know, I'm sure it depends on the company. I, I personally haven't actually worked, you know, worked as an expat, so mm-hmm. so I don't have a lot to draw on, you know, myself. And and again, I really think it, it depends on the company. Some companies maybe not. Some, you know, some companies definitely do do a lot more, um, but it's. You know, again, it goes back to training too, because even if you have a, a real commitment to train people in that country, um, depending on you know where you are, there may not be a lot. Of, you know, like you may be starting kind of from scratch. Yeah. Um, in other countries, there's there is a wide you know pool already there, or a deep pool, excuse me, already there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it depends.
0: <laughs> no, it, that's a, that's a good response, and I guess one thing that that always leaves me questioning with how companies approach training people when they're abroad is something you are talking about previously which is the point that deposits are non-renewable and they're not going to go on for forever yeah. um, and I, I could see the, the issue with training a bunch of miners to, to mine and then once you leave you have a bunch of trained people mm-hmm. but they don't have anything to do um, and so for me, that's that's always been a, kind of an ethical question of do we train these people and then leave them behind or how to deal with that type of situation?
1: And it, again, like I said, I haven't been an expat myself, so I yeah. haven't been in that situation. And Sorry, I it's an unfair question. And but... <laughs> I certainly wasn't that high in the company that I needed to, to worry about that myself either. Um, I, I think it depends because, because so, some you know, you think about geologically, where, where are the deposits? So even mm-hmm. if one, if you're in a spot that happens to be kind of a, a hot spot, um, not geologically a hot spot like Hawaii, but yeah, but yeah, <laughs> a, a, a spot that has, you know, a concentration of resources, just because one is done, you know, you might have another one in the same area that, that, that could, you know, people can go to. And you see that even, you know, anywhere in any country. Um, if one mine is done, you know, it's, if it gets mined out, then people, the workers have to go, you know, somewhere else. Um, and hopefully, with you know, with big companies, they are providing opportunities for people. If you want to transfer to a different place, um, you can. Sometimes that may be you know pretty far away. Sometimes it might be in mm-hmm. your backyard, you know, of where you were before. Um, so, so it depends. Um, again, you know, it, it's it's it is a tough question. I think just more generally, you know, you think about even in the U.S., how many kind of ghost towns there are. Yep. You know, and and, and people talk do talk about that. Now, with you know, the, the kind of this boom and bust cycle, how does how does that work? How do you um, how do you keep um, you know the economy, local economy strong in these areas when mining is gone? And I definitely don't have an answer to that one. Um, but you're right; it's something that, as an industry, people should be should be thinking about more. Um, and you know, maybe I think I hope there's more opportunities to do things maybe a little more sustainably than than kind of traditionally was was done in the past. Um, what that looks like, though, I, I don't know.
0: You're, you're anticipating some of my my <laughs> my questions here um okay well that's 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 still very helpful i think that's that's a unique perspective um and then one other thing i wanted to ask about in terms of of training is i'm gonna i'm gonna put it under the phrase of competition um and what i mean by that is just like previously uh, we've talked with with jody banna who you know, you know um about how like there's declining enrollment in mining and that companies are really, at this point, they're, they're fighting for young geologists, young mining engineers, young business uh, strategists and experts. And so I guess what, what I'm trying to go after here is that how, how does a company know that if they invest in one person or a group of people that they just won't go to another company? Or is the argument instead that by training this certain group, we're, we're hoping to, to lead the pack, so to say?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I think any company that's the rest that, you know, employees, they're, they're not slaves. They can go work somewhere else yeah. if they want to, right? Um, but if you want to do things well, you do need to invest in them and you need to train people. And, you know, that that's the kind of when you talk about competition that somebody good might leave that puts the pressure on the company to just be that much better that, that people want to stay. Um so so I think that's that's part of it. And sometimes, you know, you can't just you can't worry too much about people leaving um and then withhold use that as an excuse to withhold genie because that that's gonna that's gonna hurt you in the short term too. Right. <laughs> um so I think I think that's
0: part of it. <laughs> okay. That makes sense. Um and then off of that, so I wanted to I'm going to say jump off course a little bit. Um, so my, my first question, I want to go back to something that you talked about previously. You said that the worst thing that a company can have happen to them is that, is that they fail, like they go bankrupt. But I would I would argue that there's a lot worse things that <laughs> can happen to companies. Okay. Um, and so I guess when you said the phrase, was that something you were considering? Because I'm thinking about social protests, environmental harm, all the other very, very negative things that can happen to a company.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. There's, there's definitely a bigger picture there. <laughs> yeah. um, again, it depends on the scale of the, the scandal, I guess. And sometimes you know, the industry as a whole does not have a good reputation for some very good reasons. Um, so, yeah, th- those things would be definitely up there. But the company as an entity would, you know, the only reason it would not exist Anymore, is if it either goes bankrupt or it gets bought out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so all those that—that's why I was saying that that's the worst thing that could happen. Um, from a social perspective, yeah, uh, there's there's definitely a bigger picture there. If you're if you're looking at it from the public interest point of view and from the outside, um, there's definitely worse you know, worse things <laughs> that could happen than a company going bankrupt, um, because you know, for example, environmental issues, people have to deal with that for generations. Yeah, if if somebody you know doesn't do something right. So yeah, it depends on the perspective. You know, if you're talking about somebody within the company or talking about, the, you know, as a member of the
0: public. That's, that's a well thought out response. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess that when we're, because I, I think that this, what you just brought up is a really important topic for how we, how we understand the, the laws and regulations around mining and, and to things like social license to operate um, because what you said was internally bankruptcy is, is the worst thing that can happen but externally there's a lot of other bad things that can happen so I guess what are your what are your thoughts on how mining the mining industry can interact with the public and the broader society that it fits within? in order to manage those two different kind of objectives here
1: mm-hmm. It's another very good and very big question. <laughs> I think companies need to do a better job of explaining to the public how mining actually works. I think that if you just found a person off the street and asked them what they knew about mining that you'd probably find a lot of misconceptions. Okay. Um, so i think yeah. that that's part of it i think that that companies also you know the, the industry can be a bit insular and i think people are starting within the industry are starting to recognize that that you know it is important to, to take a more holistic view of the impacts of mining um, And so i think that's a good thing i think companies need, need to, to keep working on that and follow through um, because you know if, if you have people that On the inside that don't understand the public's point of view or the concerns that a lot of community members have about about mining operations and and, you know the risk of of an environmental Mm -hmm. disaster or something like that Um, if you don't take that seriously as a company one you're doing a disservice to to your community and two you really are running a huge risk as a company um that that, you know you're either going to get shut down or something's going to happen um you know and, and sometimes that may be from i mean there's Anytime you do hear those, those kind of stories about some, some big kind of environmental or social scandal, mm. in my mind, I always think about that's also a management failure. Yeah. You know, how do you let something like that happen, especially things that, that in, in theory should, shouldn't happen, you know, because we have that engineering, t- you know, or because we have, um, you know, monitoring capabilities or whatever it is, you know, and that's maybe me partly, you know, kind of as an engineer thinking like, how can we not have designed a better system? To, to forestall these kinds of things, right? Um, so I think I think there's a lot of a lot of things that need to be worked on, and one of them is people on both sides need to kind of understand, be a little bit better informed of what the other side's concerns are, and then I, I think there's a management piece as well.
0: Okay, um, I want to start off that that first one um, where understanding what the other's concerns are. Um, I, I want to highlight that. We're understanding the the concerns, not just the public or mining. Um, and I think that's I think that's a really important differentiation. Um, and where I want to go with that is how I guess how do we what would be a good way for us to articulate the concerns of, of mining. And, and perhaps this is a, a, a moot question because mining's business, but uh, <laughs> I want to ask it anyway.
1: But, I mean, a lot of this is just me, as a,
0: again my yeah. opinion, yeah. Um,
1: but you know, every time I, I see an article in the news talking about mining, um, sometimes it, it used to be that some news sources were kind of, you could you could count on them being kind of negative about, about the industry.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, lately,
1: I think there has been a little more of a shift in tone because some news articles that are seen recently they're starting to really understand or come to terms with if you're if we're serious about moving away from oil and gas for example and towards a green economy you're actually going to need more mining and you might need more domestic mining mm-hmm. um, and and so you're you know it's the, the whole saying about if it can't be grown it must be mined like that yeah. that's true um, that's something that a lot of people don't really think about and I think there's starting to be a little bit of a shift. In, in public awareness, and so so when I talk about like the mining industry doing a better job of communicating, you know their needs or their concerns, I think that's it, it's that sort of thing where you, where you want to see that when people, you know, outside the industry are talking about it, or that you see it mentioned like in, in a news article, mm-hmm. um, that it that it's presented in a way that you know makes sense as somebody who does understand what actually goes on. Um, and so there's there's like a little bit of education, public education, I think, that
0: goes into it. I think I think that's fair, but I do want to go back to the bottom line on this, um, being I think that it's really it's an easier argument to say that as an industry or as a company, that we're concerned about producing electric vehicles or, or whatever. But at the end of the day, I think the, the biggest concern is is being able to avoid bankruptcy. Um, and so I guess why why wouldn't that be a better thing to articulate to a community?
1: Um, I'm sorry, I don't
0: quite follow. <laughs> so previously you said that Mining and the public need to share their concerns and have better channels of communications about their concerns
1: mm-hmm.
0: and At the end of the day a company's concern is not How many electric vehicles their their mine is going to produce it's Are we going to be able to, to pay the workers are we going to be able to continue mm-hmm. operating mm-hmm. and so my question is why? Why isn't that the better message to articulate to the public when going through the process of of communicating with a broad audience? Well, I
1: think I think there's two different things things going on there, and one of them is that um, if a company goes bankrupt or not, that's on the company. That's not the public's responsibility, yeah. right? So that's why it's it's not their concern. Um, it and when I say like the industry needs to do a better job of communicating with the public, I mean, things just like, like basic, basic, you know, misrepresentations of of what goes on, um, you know, kind of correcting those, those misperceptions. Um, some of which, you know, hopefully will address a lot of the concerns that people in the public have about the industry, because there's a lot of fear every time people talk about a new project, you know, potentially going in and and people, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. assume the worst. And part of that's human nature. Um, you know, it's it's a, I forget what what uh, bias that's called, where people kind of think about like the worst thing that could happen, and then then you that like plays an outsized role in what you think the, is gonna happen. like a
0: self fulfilling prophecy. So,
1: sort of. There's, yeah, but, <laughs> that's yeah, a, that's yeah, a totally different <laughs> Conversation. Um, so so when it comes to the public and, and people in the industry kind of talking to each other and educating each other about their concerns, that needs to be you know mutual respect for each other, um, and so so in that conversation, profitability doesn't doesn't. Really enter into it, um, except for as in a broad sense, as mining will provide jobs. It'll help the local economy. That mm-hmm. part's relevant, um, but you know, uh, internally, mining companies obviously care about you know not going bankrupt. Yeah, um, but that's a problem for the management of the company to worry about. Not you know, so it doesn't really enter in, into that public conversation.
0: It's interesting, but I, I wonder. If, if that is the motivation though that's driving business decisions it seems to me like it would be if, if so kind of here's the scenario I'm thinking about if, if I was a company and I was making some decisions about expanding or, or um, closing a mine in a certain area my concern and what would be driving those decisions is the profit margin yes and so why wouldn't that be what I'm talking to the community about that I'm operating in?
1: Because you have to respond to the community's concerns, and they're going to care first and foremost about you know things like the social, you know, the ESG aspects. Um, okay. So, so yes, as you know, if it didn't make money, then then you're done. Right? Yeah. If it does, you're still not done because you have to also make sure that you're satisfying the concerns um, that, that environmentally it's gonna it's gonna be okay and it's socially that, that you have that license. So there, there are definitely projects out there that on paper would make money, but environmentally they may just be too sensitive. And, and, and ethically, even though you could make money, you know, should you.
0: So the other thing that you mentioned as being a, one of the causes of, of potential misfortune within mining is some of these bigger catastrophes. And you mentioned that ultimately those are, those are management failures. Is that fair
1: i wouldn't necessarily say ultimately but like in my mind that is what i what i always think of is that that's not just the environmental failure it's also a management failure
0: okay that's that makes sense um so with that management failure to me it seems like a lot of times what could be said as a management failure is is really a combination of things Um, and one of those is the company culture um, and so going back to what we were previously talking about with how company cultures is something that's very hard to even to have a, a control over. Mm-hmm. Is my, the first part of this is, would you agree that some of those management failures come down to company cultures? And if that's the case, what can, what can managers do? What can people be doing to help mitigate some of those failures?
1: I think culture definitely plays a role, you know, in, 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 in outcomes and, and how a company performs, or if something you know goes wrong. Um, but it, that doesn't let management off the hook. If you do have something you know really horrible that happens, that's still on on the man, you know, on the management team. They need to accept responsibility for that. Um, I think that, like I said before, there's the saying about tone comes from the top. Mm-hmm. So that's, in in terms of trying to influence the culture, that's the only thing that you can do is to make sure that that you're acting in a way that's genuine and that if you you don't say one thing and then, you know, inadvertently do do something different because, you know, actions speak louder than words kind of a thing. Um, And that part does, I think, apply to anybody, no matter what part of the company that you're in. Like, let's say that you have, you know, a really horrible boss that's a mean jerk, you know, do you then turn around and be a jerk to your own employees that report to you, or does it stop with you and you do your best to, to shield, you know, the people that report to you? Mm-hmm. Um, a good manager, you know, at that level um, would would try to shield their employees. You know, so, so how you treat other people makes a big difference, and I think that's that's how anybody can try and influence the culture is, is to just, you know, basic things. <laughs> what should be basic things, right? Like res- respect people, treat them well. Um, don't gossip at work, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you laugh, but but mindsights can be like huge, huge mouths. Yeah,
0: yeah, okay. That, I think that's, that's helpful. Um, so kind of to summarize, it's leading from the bottom up.
1: Well, leading from whatever level you're at. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Leading from, yeah. Okay, uh, so so I wanna be careful with your time um, and kind of move on to some of the, the final Topics I wanted to discuss, um, and so at this point, um, I know predictions are, are really difficult. Um, but I, I always want to ask where you see the next big thing coming for for the mining industry, or or even broader than that for society overall. If you want to go that far.
1: <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. That's that's very broad. <laughs> um, I think for me, the thing that that I'm excited about, and it goes back to, to my own research interest, is, is you know big data incorporating incorporating better tools into the industry, so so people can can make better business decisions. Um, there's a lot of obviously a lot of energy and activity in things like improving the day to day operation, being you know more efficient with having you know better monitoring or you know sensors on equipment, you know in a way that like that, that goes beyond what people have had you know from traditionally mm-hmm. right. Um, so people talk about like Internet of Things. Um, there's another buzzword for you, um, but but there's just a lot of really interesting things that that people are starting to do, um, you know, along that, along those lines. And for me, the part that I'm interested in are things like like I said, strategic planning, um, you know, exploration uses of, of big data. Mm-hmm. Um, part that parts, those sorts of things are trickier in a way I think to do well because you need to understand and design tools. So, you know in a way that where you understand the data part, but you also have to have a lot of domain knowledge of mining and geology okay. to build those kinds of tools in a way that would be useful for people um, So to me like those are the sorts of challenges that I, I think are really kind of interesting and kind of nerd out over <laughs> So that that's one trend I think is, is kind of data and mining okay. um, I think I think the university should have a class called like a data mining and mining. Yeah, data yeah. mining and mining. My, mining square, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Uh, anyway, I know it's a terrible, terrible joke. Um, <laughs> so that, that's one thing, and I think I, I do think that the industry is going to see a huge change um, as as the economy does shift towards more renewable sources of energy. I don't think that's something that people are really ready for exactly the how that that's going to happen. I think that is going to be a really big paradigm shift.
0: Can you unpack that a little bit further? <laughs>
1: Um, just the amount of of you know resources that people are going to mine, and which resources we're we're going to see a, an explosion in demand for. Um, okay. I, I think that's that's going to be a big you know a big kind of up and coming shift.
0: Interesting. Um, I guess would you say that's that's going to be a big shift in. How mining companies operate, or how people perceive mining, or, or both. Oh, probably. <laughs> Interesting. Do you have any recommendations for how to manage that?
1: Um, I think just again be strategic and try and think about what, what is it that people are going to need, and in terms of in terms of the resources, do we need to be exploring more for different commodities than we are? Um, are there certain you know how do you secure domestic supply? Of, of you know critical minerals things like that mm-hmm. and you know, of course people are talking about that a lot too. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's one thing to talk about it and it's another thing to be um you know really ready for, for that shift
0: right no that's i think that's that's good advice um and then i swear this is the last question <laughs> do you have any recommendations for for the listeners
1: that's very broad um well, one just thank you, you know, for your time and, and for for having me, and thank you to, to the listeners that are out there. <laughs> um, I ho- I hope this is useful, um, and you know I, hope, I think that that mining is really an interesting industry. Like, there's a lot of really good challenges. Um, whether that's you know, like you're talking about, do you wanna do you wanna buy and you know build a mine? Do you wanna expand something? Like those kind of strategic things. There's there's a lot that goes into those sorts of decisions, and, and one I think that that sort of thing is really interesting. Um, and so I really like the, the strategy part. So, yeah. so that's one thing that I get interested about. Um, but there's a lot of different, just different roles and different places that mining can take you that I think is really, really interesting. And it's not, it's not just about being an engineer. You know, there's, there's, like you said, you've interviewed financial analysts. There's all kinds of different roles that, that interact with the industry. So um, people can think outside the box and, and still be still have a really good, good career you know, with the industry.
0: That is a great that is a great note to end on. So Lynette Hudson, thank you so much for being on the R Resources Podcast. Uh, it's been a pleasure.
1: All right, thank you so much.